Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. I'm Aileen Bennett, sitting in for Christian Maida. When we hear about people who are successful in business, we tend to hear different versions of a familiar story. Somebody with a singular vision relentlessly pursues an idea till, against all odds, and after all kinds of hardship, they create Walmart or Apple. What you hear less often are stories about people who have no single-minded obsession, but are nonetheless successful and happy, doing something today that just a few short years ago they would never have imagined. That's the category that both of my lunch guests today are in. Kevin Blanchard started out as a journalist. He was a news reporter in Lafayette for The Advocate. He started working for the paper in 1999. By 2008, he was married and had kids. For a guy with a family to raise, the future of the newspaper business didn't look too bright. So, Kevin went back to school. In 2011, he graduated from LSU with a law degree. I bet you can't tell where this is going, nor did Kevin. As an attorney, Kevin was serving as Public Works Director and Chief Development Officer for Lafayette Consolidated Government. That's when he came in contact with the owners of Southern Lifestyle Development. They're the company behind River Ranch and 17 other communities they're developing throughout Louisiana. Kevin went to work at Southern Lifestyle Development as their in-house counsel. He soon became the company's Chief Operating Officer and that's what he's doing today, managing 40 employees. Kevin Blanchard, welcome to Out to Lunch. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Corey Champagne grew up in Thibodeau. He went to LSU where he majored in dietetics and nutritional science with a plan of getting into healthcare. On the way to making that plan happen, Corey was working as a paramedic. That's where he met his wife, who's from Broussard, and they had a child. At this time, Corey was making extra money by going to the farmer's market with homemade pies that he was making. He couldn't help but notice two things. One, he loved making pies, and two, his pies sold out really quickly. For a while, Corey was a paramedic pie maker, till it got to the point where he had to make a decision about where to concentrate his efforts. The sensible plan would have been to concentrate on a career in healthcare. And that's how Corey came to be founder and owner of growing business called Acadian Slice. Acadian Slice is not a healthcare company. It makes pies. Corey, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you very much. Kevin. Maybe it's a stereotype from movies and TV and the news, but we tend to think as journalists, as loners, doggedly pursuing the truth. Even lawyers, though perhaps typically more outgoing than journalists, are known mostly for a heads-down type of solo desk work. So I'm led to wonder what kind of preparation you had for the job you're doing now, which requires constant people skills and is fundamentally managing multiple big budget building projects. What gave you the confidence to take the job? <laughs> uh... I'm, I'm not sure that I uh, thought about it before I took the job, right? <laughs> Always a good plan. <laughs> yeah. When you're doing a good job as a reporter, 
uh, one of the things that you have to focus on is being a generalist, right? Like you're stepping into any kind of situation that you have to know just enough to be able to like converse, right? It's kind of like every day you're stepping into a foreign country and you have to at least be able to know like how to order lunch and go to the bathroom, right? Like those things. The essentials. So, in the essentials, a- you know? Uh, and, and the development business is kind of like that. Like from my perspective, uh, I need to be able to talk to engineers. I need to be able to talk to the lawyers. I need to be able to talk to the government officials who are giving us approvals, uh, to talk to the banks, to give us financing, to talk to our partners. And, you know, and, and the idea that you can take a, kind of a large s- sort of complex situation and kind of break it down into uh, bite-sized chunks, like that's, I learned that as a reporter. Like that's not a, a, a skill as much as it is a practice or a craft, right? So, uh, but never a loner. Like I, I love people. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, it's one thing to have a knack for making a great pie that all your friends like. Lots of us have a specialty like that. For example, we always ask Aunt Brenda to make a bourbon smoked pecan pie when there's a family gathering. But when you go from making a bit of extra cash at the farmer's market to a pie business like you did, things get kicked up a whole nother level. At Acadian Slice, you make fruit pies, hand pies and savoury pies like your best-selling Boonam pesto pie and your hashtag pie, which is hash browns, eggs and cheddar. Making pies sounds like a fun job. How much of your day is actually spent making pies and how much is spent buying supplies, cleaning pie dishes, marketing and everything else that goes into running a business? (laughs) There is a lot of of non-cooking time that goes into it. But, uh, I mean, since I've left work, it's it's truly a full-time job. I mean, most of it, beginning of the weeks leading up to a farmer's market or some type of event, is spent procuring ingredients. I mean, three, four different grocery stores. And then end of the week is the marathon cooking sessions. At what time of the week do you decide what pies you're making? I try to decide very early on. So that way I have enough time to find something because I do focus on local and seasonal ingredients. So if I know I want to use something like we just ran through peach season. So if I know I want to make something with a particular ingredient, I need to make sure I have time to get it from either a local farmer or get it from a couple of different places just so I can get the volume that I need to get myself to the weekend. And you also make pies for events. Apparently pie tables at weddings are big things now. It was something that wasn't expected by me. Like you said, we just started at the farmer's market, but as people started to try it out and take it to their friends, they just started to ask questions like, hey, could you do this at my wedding? And I said, I had a very say yes to everything mentality when we started. (laughs) Similar to Kevin, right? Yeah, and so so the weddings and the catering side of things actually took off a lot faster than I expected it to. So I got in a lot of trouble, like double and triple booking myself, thinking that I could handle it. And we, you know, we've, we've been able to, to keep our heads above water. So how many pies do you make in an average week? For the farmer's market, it's about 200 every week, 200 hand pies, and not to mention uh, any special orders that'll come. So I have a lot of regular customers that want to pick things up at the market. So then I might be making whole pies for them, larger quantities. And uh, I use the farmer's market in town as as pretty much my, my office on business day. So I tell if anyone wants to pick anything up for that weekend, I say, just meet me there. And it gets people out there. It's less driving around because we do make deliveries also. 
And you work from a commercial kitchen? We There is a commercial kitchen space in town where you can rent things by the hour, and they have much larger equipment than I, than I have at home. Louisiana has some laws that do enable you to cook things out of your home and sell it to the public, the cottage food laws. And so that's how we started. But like you said, as it grew and my quantities got larger and larger, I didn't need uh, need more equipment than I could fit into my own house. So we we go to these rented kitchens at the Acadiana Food Hub and use uh, their big ovens and mixers and things like that just so we can make sure we get the quantity that we need. So you only have to plan a week or so out, but Kevin, you're working years out on <laughs> yes. what how people are going to live. Is that dictated by what you th- how you think people should live or are you watching other trends? How do you decide what a new development's going to look like when it's years away? Well, you know, that's a good question. You know, we we think about the market for, for you know, the begin, right? Not the like, farmers market. Not the farmers market, right? <laughs> we're thinking, much larger. Yeah, market you know, we're thinking about like what does the Calcasieu parish market look like, you know, Monroe, Lafayette, uh, Baton Rouge, uh, the North Shore. Uh, but yeah, like there's a giant sort of like lag between the decisions we, we're making today and like our actual success, you know, and, and we comment on that a lot, like in the office, like we're making decisions right now, but like the process as a whole, you know, your average conventional neighborhood, you know, might take four or five years to complete, but a lot of our traditional neighborhood developments, you know, River Ranch, Fred Farms, uh, we have others across uh, the South, uh, you're, you're talking about 20 years sometimes. I mean, we're in the 20th year of River Ranch. So right are now. you really dictating how people will live in the future? We're trying, you know, <laughs> and, and, and look, like, you know, the best we can do is to remain engaged with our clients and just to know what they're thinking about right so what are the trends now for 20 years in the future how do we want to live i I can tell you so you know we have a baby boomer generation that is kind of moving through the the process right and i think that one of the things that we've focused on a lot in the last couple of years are assisted living facilities and and that is not sort of your traditional are they going to be cool they're going to have coffee shops and wi-fi and yeah like it's not yeah it's not your your traditional sort of nursing home process you know one of the and i heard that nursing homes now but people want to like co-live it's like being students again but when they're old is that a trend exactly they want a community you know and so we're looking at you know how do we have a a movie theater in the development so that the grandkids want to come and, and know what to do or a playground, right? Or or any sort of other sort of like lower generation playground thing. Playground for makes old it, people. That, That's but, awesome. But that makes it fun for their and grandkids yeah. to come, right? And, and for, well, I'd like a playground for me. Yeah. One, one of the other big things, you, you talk to the older generation and they're like, I miss being in the garden. I miss cooking, you know? And a lot of that transitional housing when you move from like, total independence to like needing a little bit of help uh doesn't consider that and so the folks that we're talking to now are how do we do farm to table for our assisted living facilities where the residents can go out be in the gardens like have a participation in what's coming up for dinner that night like be in the kitchen you know these sound like the best discussions absolutely where does the financing for those developments that are 20 years in the future come from you know the the thing about banks is they're super sold on what's happened before right 
And if you want to show them like what's going to happen next, then you're going to have to take that leap, you know? And so when we go to banks and we're talking about, this is the next thing, this is going to be a really great deal. Uh, we have a lot of good banking relationships where they're like, we're going to take a, 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 a run on this because we have faith in you. But yeah, I mean, the idea when you're coming in financing a new deal, and I'm sure you dealt with this, is you've got to not only like lay out the business plan, but you also have to say, here's the plan B, plan C, plan D on like how we're going to like make this thing work. That's where we're at now. You know? Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's We've at this point borrowed zero money for this business. It's great. And so it's been profitable from day one. You're making dough. It's yeah, <laughs> true, but it's, it's been, you? it's been That's a really good. organic growth. And now we've, we've maxed out on what we're able to do at this level. You know, I can't sell anymore at the farmer's market. We hit the festival circuit last year. We're in our second run of that this year, which is about to get kicked off in the fall. And now the next step is some type of retail business. It's either going to be a food truck, which we're which we are flirting with, because I think along with our catering business that's taken off, a food truck and catering could sustain. And then there's also the traditional brick and mortar locations, which uh, is always an option. But and like I said, we just want to make sure that we keep that natural growth because everything's been kind of jazz like where we've kind of just taken this and taken that and done and just rolled with everything but we're at the point now where the next step we take is really going to be a big leap it's going to be getting financing for the first time maybe even taking in investors you're listening to out to lunch i'm aileen bennett i'm talking with Corey champagne from acadian slice and kevin blanchard from southern lifestyle development kevin you know what we're going to want in the next 20 years. Is this pie in the sky? Or? No, I, you know, I think that folks are more and more uh, embracing the finer touches. I mean, I think that we, you know, we've obviously developed sort of a consumerist society over the last like several decades. Yeah. And so, you know, you can get a get a pie right from a freezer at you know albertson and you'll never be able to escape that that will always exist but with that there's always going to be the opposite end of that spectrum right and whatever you can find is there's always going to be a hand exactly and and look we can build a neighborhood that is like the same sort of like off the shelf thing that you're used to Mm -hmm. or we can include the sort of amenities or that's true sort of finer design points and and i think that people uh people notice that like the consumers in general understand that they are or are not being catered to and i think that people it's a little bit more transparent i would guess like people can see that people know that if they're being catered they can it resonates with them and they can see if something's if something's natural and has a, a more of a community feel to it people i guess the consumers aren't as as gullible as they used to be they really aren't you know Kevin, the website for your company, the very first line says, we create communities that change the way you live. Mm-hmm. Please explain that. So, you know, <clears throat> what we spend a lot of time on when we're designing a community or we're building a community is what is the experience going to be from the uh, the consumer perspective, right? Like the folks who want to live here, like what do they want? This is exactly how you start a pie as well. It's, right. it's kind of, yeah, what it was was that we we wanted something. I'd always done any of my home and hobbyist food things on on a project basis. Like can I learn to 
pickle and preserve things? Can I learn to do this? And I really wanted to learn how to make pies. And then it really took off with friends and family. And I said, man, maybe strangers would like would this Would like also. the same experience. And if, they, and if they hadn't, and just like all the different flavors we offer, you know, we really listen to people. And if something does well and I get a lot of feedback from it, then we'll obviously move on with that. But like you said, it's a really organic growth. They're both very much about the, really the user to, experience. Yeah, listening to people mm-hmm. and what they want. Yeah, you know, yeah. when we can come in, whether it's a, an entry level, uh, conventional neighborhood to a higher end, uh, you know, traditional neighborhood development, um, folks have a certain expectation about like what they're what they're going to buy into when they come into the neighborhood, right? And so we try to think about that when whether it's you know how are folks going to get on a sidewalk and walk to the park. Uh, to what is their uh, homeowners association experience going to be like? Like, do they feel like they're part of a, a community that is purposeful, or are they just a place on a map, right? And and we try to add that human element to make sure that people understand that they are in a purposeful place, that we are thinking about long-term, about their quality of life, about sort of like where they want to live. That's a giant giant decision that people make when they're like deciding like where to live like that is a both financially and emotionally and everything else like that's a big deal for people and we try to be sensitive about that and we try to make sure that people understand that that is ultimately uh the thing that we place ahead of uh all the rest of the decisions we have to make when it comes to profitability or etc because at the end of the day if you know, we have learned and, and we do marketing and we spend money on making sure that people know who we are and everything else. But at the end of the day, if the people in our neighborhoods are not happy, then we're not going to be able to continue doing what we do. This leads very nicely into our next section. Corey and Kevin, this is part of the show we call Your Brother-in-Law. You're finishing up a day's work ready to relax when your phone rings. It's your brother-in-law. Normally he only calls when he's going out of town and he wants you to look after his parrot. But this time it's different. This time he has a business proposition. Kevin, your brother-in-law says you're missing out on a whole level of service and revenue with your developments. Delivery. Everybody these days wants everything delivered and they want it now. He wants to set up a delivery business that would be specific, say, to River Ranch. This is how it would work. If you live in River Ranch and you want groceries, coffee, a pair of water wings for the kids, a parrot, whatever you need right now, he'll get it and it's free. Homeowners pay an annual subscription as part of their homeowners association fees. Your brother-in-law says this is going to be so popular that it will be the deciding factor for people to buy a house in River Ranch and all of your other developments where you offer it. What do you say? Is your brother-in-law onto something? Is this development delivery a great idea or what? You know, I mean, I think specifically, I'd like to see the numbers, right? <laughs> you know, um, it's definitely, ne- it's never anything that's like off the table. Um, you know, we have uh, a development in Monroe that's located next to the CenturyLink campus. And we're like, what a great opportunity to be like the most connected community in the country, right? Like there's a giant telecom company like across the street and they're a partner in this development. How do we uh, kind of take that uh, potential bandwidth and like figure out like how to deliver something that people have never had before, right? Same thing. I will confess, like I am a uh, I'm a giant waiter fan. Like I'm, <laughs> you know, we are one of those families. Like we'll waiter 
two meals a night, you know, and maybe like a shake after, you know, and and there's a, a convenience society that's kind of forming right now, right? Where like, you know, things that you never thought that you would actually even, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way, like, right? It's, it's the instant gratification culture that's finally come into to everything. Like you said, food. Yep. And we have waiter here, but it's not just, you know, we get things a little bit later, I guess, in t- especially in tech, I guess, but mm-hmm. companies like Uber Eats and all that's been, those have existed, that model has existed for a while. And with a lo- it's great that a local company was able to capitalize on this market. And those things may influence the decisions somebody else came we in make in now, the future. And now look at Waiter. They're, they're, they're gonna, and you offer a, a delivery make, anyway. You'll just take pies we, to people. We do delivery on ours. But as we go on, especially if we ended up in some type of brick and mortar, we would, of course, have to. You can't, you can't exclude the entire market share of your customers that want to have that delivered to them. I get people right now every day to ask me, you know, can you waiter this or are you on waiter? And that's something that we obviously want to work towards. It's not feasible right now for the size and what we have, but that's, it's not even something I would consider. It's definitely going to be factored into our growth well let's see how you consider your brother-in-law and in food there's no way to get around it right now especially Corey, your brother-in-law has a no-brainer idea for you new orleans restaurants of course there's something like a thousand restaurants in new orleans (laughs) to say nothing of all the coffee shops and new orleans has 10 million tourists a year 10 million your brother-in-law's idea is for you bake him 10 pies a day for a month. He takes the fresh pies to New Orleans and uses them as samples to get restaurants and coffee shops to place orders. They're going to flip when they find out how great these pies taste. He knows it and you know it. You never have to go to another farmer's market again. You're going to have standing orders from the greatest restaurants in New Orleans. What do you say? Will you let your brother-in-law run with this idea and expand into New Orleans? I would say I I like going to the farmer's market, so that's (laughs) that's not a benefit. But I... I mean, those New Orleans growing up in South Louisiana is always this this jewel of the state, depending on how you feel, especially if you enter the, the food space. To open up something in that city is would be a remarkable accomplishment. And so I would say maybe not right now, but, <laughs> but as we grow and I think we could handle that, that's – I mean, That's could we see Acadian pie shops all over I Louisiana, would, all over the South? I would love nothing more than to open up an Acadian Slice store, something in, in. I mean, I would say in each major city. In or Louisiana. in each new development yeah, that or some, opened. Well, well, because just it, it, ha, it does resonate with people as, like you, you were saying, that handmade element. Mm-hmm. We use local ingredients. So if something's going on in the city or wherever you are, you can always mold that to fit the store. So just because we have more than one many franchises doesn't mean we become this big corporate entity. We could still keep this really tangible, handmade element to it. And it's just really malleable at this point. And hopefully that's something that we'll maintain later. So when we do enter a new market, like if we go to a Baton Rouge or a Shreveport or a New Orleans, we could look at each city, just like he said, where you really look at the people there and what they want. You would do your your proper market research. Thanks, my brother-in-law, for doing that for me. <laughs> but you would do that and put in the time so that you made sure you were giving a genuine effort towards the people of that city. So you could provide them with something that they would truly cherish and hopefully become it, something that's woven into, you know, the culture there, wherever yeah. you are. And Look, it, yeah, like people have become much more attuned to what is authentic 
and I am agree. I or yeah. am I not getting something? You can't something, fake genuine. Not right? anymore. And I think that, you know, millennials get a lot of crap, <laughs> but, but, but they, they take a lot of heat for a, for a lot of things. But they have demanded transparency in a lot of Yes, and of now industries. we live with that. I love and it. And I think that that is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And if, if going forward, you know, that generation grows up, and I'm at the tail end of it, so I think I'm considered one myself. But that's not, you know, that's not a, a part of, of uh, our culture that I would, I would say is a bad thing that they've instituted. Yeah, right. they they demand it. You got to be genuine, and they want to they want to know they want to know how the sausage is made, and they want to see it on YouTube, and they want to know everything about it. And I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I don't see that as bad at all. I'm fascinated by how you come up with the names that you you call your your pies. So some of the names for pies we have some Barry Seinfeld, um, the Fig and Pig, Blue Sard, um, is glazed and confused is one of my favorite. How do you come? Is it coming up with the names a joy for you? Do you come up with the names first and then make the pies? I'll say sometimes, in some instances, <laughs> the name has preceded the pie. I'll say I want that. Maybe the hashtag. I'll think, I'll think of a pun and I say, man, I got to figure this out. But it still comes from the same <laughs> creative place in my brain. And in others, there's been times where I've been, you know, midnight, the night before a market, fin- putting the finishing touches on thing, and I still don't have something named. And just in that work that you're doing, something will just will just hit you. And, and my my wife contributes quite a bit, so there's a process throughout the week. <laughs> if you look back at your life over the last five years, can you pick a couple of things that surprise you that you never expected to happen? Now think about the five years ahead of you. What might happen that right now you can't imagine? Corey and Kevin, your stories are inspiring. Evidently, it's really true. If you embrace change and you do what you really want, you can be happy and you can make money. Thank you both for the inspiration, and thanks, Corey and Kevin, for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you very much. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Kevin Blanchard, Chief Operations Officer at Southern Lifestyle Development, and Corey Champagne, founder and owner of Acadian Slice. You can find out more about Kevin's developments and Corey's pies by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morrell. Our researchers are Anne Christian and Ali Coates. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsacadiana.com, and on our It's Acadiana Facebook page. These photos were taken by Lucius A. Fontenot. You can find out more about Lucius at lafphoto.com. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at itsacadiana.com. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsacadiana.com and krvs.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm sitting in for Christian Maida. Christian will be back here next week. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. 
Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. 